said, and, and she's real country like this, you know, and I hear she's trying to teach English to the Palestinians. I'm, I think, ah, what will this sound like? Anyway, uh, she was, uh, you know, she, she moved into the camp, and she said if, I, if she had been like a theologian or something like they would have killed her. But here she was. They called her a foolish thing because who would want to move into a Palestinian refugee camp without water, without electricity. She didn't have any, hardly any money. She had sold a piece of land that she, she had, a little piece of property her father had left her uh, down in Florida. And she took the money and bought as much rice as she could. And uh, so she just began to give out. Well, when I met her, she had been in uh, Jericho for about a year and a half. And by this time, she had moved, just moved out of the refugee camp and she had moved into uh, a prayer house that, that was right there in Jericho. And um, she was down there all by herself. And it, I had just been in Jerusalem where there's all kinds of prayer meetings and everything going on. And here just how far is uh, Jericho? Maybe 15, 20 miles from Jerusalem? I don't know, not very far. And here she is all down there all by herself. Well, we spent some time together. She says, you know, I know you, Lila. I said, you do? How do you know me? She says, well, you know, I came and sat in your in your... Uh, Thursday morning class when we used to teach uh, before while the revival was going on. I've got a ring back here. Am I in the wrong spot or what are we doing here? <clears throat> and she said, I came, I came to your meeting. Am I holding it the wrong way? I came to your meeting, she said, and I wanted you to pray for me. She said, you never did uh, pray for anybody on Thursday morning. She says, but when you were ministering, you came by and you laid your hand on me. And she said, and, uh, uh, and afterwards I was telling the Lord, Lord, you know, what, what was that all about? She said, uh, she never prayed for me. I wanted to get some of that cross-pollination. And he said, well, she laid her hand on you as she walked by, which I did. I was out there ministering in the congregation. I just laid my hand on her and left it there. Well, anyway, that was kind of interesting because she was sharing that she had been to the Brownsville Revival. Well, we had, we had uh, some worship time together and encouraged her. I came back a few months later, probably six months later, and we were in the ministry house. And here... Uh, it, it, she had like a little living room with a, with a television uh, set, and uh, there were some Palestinians that were in there, you know, the ladies, some of the ladies with their heads covered. There were maybe half a dozen of them, and they were watching something on, on the television. And I looked, and it was the Brownsville Revival. <laughs> she had videos of the Brownsville Revival, and they were watching them, and they were so excited because they, you know, they, they saw the people on their faces, and they said, oh, you know, they, they, they worship like we do. And they, but they saw them laughing, and they said, you can laugh? You know, you're God? You can laugh before you? She saw them dance. You can dance before you're God? They got very excited. Well, eventually, she established a church there in Jericho, and, uh, and this has been a, just a few years ago. And uh, uh, one of the Palestinian men is in charge of the church, the, um, the IDF asked her, would she please move from Jericho because she'd had her, her house bombed twice, she'd had her car firebombed. You know, they had stolen all of her equipment time and time again, destroyed everything. So they said we didn't, they didn't feel like they could take care of her there anymore. Would she move into Jerusalem? But they would always allow her to go in and out of any area where they had, uh, where they had the stops, you know, where, they had the, where you have to show your, your um, passport and go over into the Palestinian-controlled area. But the thing that was so beautiful is they said they thought, the Palestinians thought that was church as usual. So we never told them any different. 
So they said, well, when we set up church, that's how we're going to have church. That's how we're, I mean, why, why spoil them? You know, why spoil the image of it? They thought that that's how all Christian churches were. And if they were going to set up a Christian church, then that's how it was going to be. So I was thinking about the effect that people don't know anything about. Now, remember those Palestinians probably travel who, uh, who knows into what of uh, the Middle Eastern countries. See, the, the touch of God. Yeah, only eternity will tell what a revival will do. Let's consider the Azusa Street revival. That was not that long ago, just a little over a hundred years ago. Every charismatic, every Pentecostal church has their roots in the Azusa Street outpouring of 1906. Everyone. That was the first time in all of history since the day of Pentecost that the initial, in, uh, the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit was designated by the speaking in tongues. Now, there have been speaking in tongues all through history, and we know that, as, if you're a historian, Christian historian, you know that there have been different moves of God, and, and there's been, but the emphasis had never been on the speaking in tongues until the Azusa Street outpouring, and then that became the official evidence that you had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things I've just more recently learned is not only did Brother Seymour, and he was the man that was in charge of it, he was a black man, he was blind in one eye, he was very humble, and uh, God used him powerfully. In, in Los Angeles, uh, the whole, the whole uh, revival was all integrated, which was something that was very unusual in that time. And so he had, he had such uh, humility that God used him powerfully. And I've, I've learned, as I said recently, that uh, there were tremendous healings, not just, we always think of the emphasis of the speaking in tongues, we th think of the emphasis of how it's affected the church, we think of the emphasis upon uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, salvation and all that, but I did not know until more recently that tremendous healings, and I was reading something about uh, one of the women that had been one of the intercessors that d in his meetings, and they did very much like we do right now with Bay Revival, and that is they the, the intercessors pray for the sick. So she would, they asked how many, as she was interviewed, of course she's passed on now, but before she died, she lived to be quite elderly and she was like only 15 or 16 years old when the Azusa Street meeting started and she was with the, the Azusa Street outpouring for three years and they said, how many people did you see here? She said, oh, usually, well, at least one a night or more, just for her praying. They said, well, how about with Brother Seymour? Now here, we talked this morning about humility and how important it is to be humble before the Lord. Brother Seymour was a very, very humble man. And for those of you that have read church history, you know that he would put his head in a box. Amen? And what he was doing, he, he would put his head in a box, and then he would wait on the Lord. And when the Lord gave him instruction, that's how he moved out in the Spirit. And she said that sometimes when he came out from under that block, box, the miracles were phenomenal. Two of them that I am believing for in this day because I have not yet seen them. And one of them, she tells of one, because they asked her, which were the most phenomenal miracles you saw Brother Seymour perform? She said, well, one night a man came in and he had, uh, he wanted prayer for his leg. He has a prosthesis on and he had gangrene that was, uh, you know, on the, on, on the leg. And he came for healing of the gangrene. When Brother Seymour came over, and, and he said, what happened to your leg? And he took the wooden leg, the, the stump, and he threw it away, 
prayed for the man, and the man's leg grew back immediately right there in the midst of the meeting before God and everybody. I want to see that for our wounded warriors. Every time, every time I see them on television, my heart just leaps. I mean, I've seen people out of wheelchairs that have been crippled for umpteen years. We've seen the blind eyes open. I've seen all kinds of wonderful miracles through, uh, through uh, uh, Nathan's ministry and through traveling with Bay Revival and through the years that we have known the Lord and, and we've seen him do phenomenal things, but I've never seen him grow a leg on a man. Hallelujah. But wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, it's one thing to provide them from housing, and I say, yes, we should, we should support our, our wounded warriors. If, but wouldn't it be awesome before God and everybody and all of the media, hallelujah, for somebody who had a limb missing, not to be wearing a prosthesis, but have a brand new leg. Amen, amen, amen. She said another incident happened. A man came in, and he was missing an arm. And uh, when he was uh, asked what happened, it was, a, it was an accident that had happened in his work. Well, now he could no longer work. He, and so Brother Seymour said to him, well, what about your family? He said, uh, uh, what, uh, what about your family? How do you support your family? He says, well, it's been very, very difficult. He said, you know, if the, if, uh, if the Lord could let, put a leg on a man, he could put an arm on a man. <laughs> he prayed for the man, and the man's arm grew. Yeah, yeah, right there. You say, oh, Lila, that's fantasy. No, it's not fantasy. It is not fantasy. These are things, if it's happened before, it can happen again. Amen. It can happen in our generation. It can happen with broken and contrite, humble people who are willing to pay the price. Amen. For what it will cost to see our lives changed. This man came back with the new arm. In two weeks, he came back, brought 200 people with him. He got his job back, so part of, so part of the 200 people were, were his boss, and all of these people came to know Jesus. Hallelujah. What an awesome thing. Our uh, evangelist Nathan always says that healing is the dinner bell to salvation. Ha-ha! Healing is the, oh, it's the dinner bell to salvation. Come, come, come. Amen. We are going to see things like that. One of these... The wounded warriors, that's one of, my, one of my main focuses right now, for God to restore, restore limbs. Now, I do uh, know that in the Brownsville Revival, and we never made any, any big deal over any healings. A lot of people were healed, but they weren't brought to the platform to give a, a, a testimony or anything like that. It just happened because of his glory and his presence. When Pastor Kilpatrick was sharing that one, uh, in one of the meetings that he heard this woman screaming, and, he, you know, before he had, had her taken out, it was in the middle of a sermon, <laughs> in the middle of whatever they were doing, uh, he thought he'd better go, and he walked down, because he said it was a sound that he'd never, you know, it didn't sound like it was phony or weird. He went down, and this woman was standing there, and her husband, who had had parts of his hands missing, she was standing there watching the fingers growing out on the hand right in the middle of the meeting at the Brownsville Revival. Amen. Was it brought up on the platform? And, and no, no big deal was ever made. I remember getting testimonies. You know, we were in the, back, in the, in the background, testimonies of people who had, uh, I remember this one woman was on a, a, a kidney dialysis, and she received a new kidney. I mean, all kinds of things happened, not because people were praying for him to be healed, but it was about his presence, you see. It's all about his presence. Right now, the church that, that John Kilpatrick has established is called Church of His Presence. And I was sharing with you last night that he said if it, 
never, if, if it ever is to the place where the church is about anything except his presence, he's going to shut it down and it will no longer be. Amen? Now, if we know that his presence is so powerful, why would we ever do anything to disturb the atmosphere and that the dove would fly? Amen? So tonight, we've got a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of things ahead of us in the future. I so appreciated what uh, Pastor said tonight about being ready and being prepared. I know there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of hoopla out there. There's a lot of phony stuff. There's a lot of mixture. There's a lot of weird, weird doctrinal things that are going on right now. But as we said to you last night, let's stay with the basics. The cross, the blood, salvation, separation from the world. Come on. Let's stay with these basics. I mean, I know there's all kinds of phenomenon going on, and, and I'm not... I, I, I love... Uh, the manifestation of God's presence and the manifestation, but let's not get caught up in the things. Because these are the, what will uh, direct our attention away from what's necessary. In this day, uh, it has been prophesied that even the elect would be deceived if it were possible. And one of the things that we need to realize is it's going to be all about our relationship with the Lord. It's where it all starts. If you don't want to be deceived, stay close to the cross. Amen? If you don't want to be deceived, stay in his word. Read his word. Digest his word. Live off of his word. It is his word that will take us through. Amen? Because it's life. It's life. Tonight I want to talk about offenses. Because one of the things that I see epidemic in the church is offenses. I remember I, I ministered this, this message in, uh, in Israel. I was there. Uh, I had been invited right after the Lebanon conflict. And uh, I was invited to minister at uh, a Messianic congregation in uh, Tel Aviv. And uh, the, uh, the rabbi had contacted me. Their teacher, had con pastor, had contacted me and said, Lila, I believe that you have a word for Israel for this year. <laughs> Yeah, and they just come out of a war. You know, oh, yeah, sure, okay. Mm-hmm, you bet. Is this man hearing from God? Well, I mean, you know, the pressure's on a little bit, right? And so one of the things that uh, I wanted to be able to bring something, because hope deferred, you know. Uh, Israel did not fare well in that, uh, in that conflict between Lebanon. You know, that was not, that was not a victorious battle for Israel. And so uh, hope deferred causes the heart to be sick, so I'm wanting to bring something really upbeat. I'm going to, oh, I want to really give them a word of encouragement. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, blessed are the unoffended. I tried everything I could to get away from that message, but I had to deliver that. It was interesting because uh, I'm going I'm to speak on this message tonight because I believe it's so important for us. This is a season of offenses. Right now, we are bombarded with offenses. I could be offended every day when I listen to Rush Limbaugh, <laughs> you know, or, or, or Sean Hannity or one of those guys or, or Herman Cain or whoever. I guess you know where I'm coming from. I mean, reporting the different things, if I look at Fox News, I get really offended when I watch CNN. Anyway, what I'm saying is, yeah, it's a time that we can be offended and offenses are out there trying to get a hold of us. But we have to hold ourselves tight. We have to hold ourselves close to the cross. We have to go by what Jesus says. He said, blessed are the unoffended. That night as we were in um, Tel Aviv and we were ministering, just was an amazing thing because in, uh, from Tel, Tel Aviv to Ramallah is quite a distance. 
And here, uh, sitting at the back of the congregation, I had brought an Arab Christian with me. She's an Israeli Arab and uh, wonderful, has a wonderful prayer ministry in Nazareth called Hope House of Prayer and Exploits. Isn't that a good one? And uh, Rania Sayeg is her name. I had brought her with me to this meeting. And of course, she speaks fluent, obviously, Arabic. Hebrew, English. You know, I'm always ashamed when I, when I interact with the international people. The only thing I can speak is English, sort of, and tongues real well. And that's about it. But, uh, but you know, you sit there with the, with the European people and they, how many, oh, I, I speak seven different languages, you know. Uh, yeah, it makes you feel really inferior. And here we are, the, the arrogant Americans, you know. Huh. And most of us can only speak one, maybe two languages. Yeah, yeah. It puts us to shame, doesn't it? Anyway, that night, um, I looked at the back when I gave an altar call, an invitation for, uh, for salvation, and it was uh, at Yom Terah, the um, blowing of the trumpets. It was the last night of Yom Terah, and they had blown the, the shofars, and, uh, and we were having a wonderful time. It was just the beginning of the uh, Yom Kippur time. So when, when I looked at the back, I see this lady coming up, and she's got her head covered and all that, and she's a Palestinian. What is she doing? How did she get here across the line into Tel Aviv from Ramallah? And so she comes forward, and, and I don't speak Arabic, so I said to, and neither did the, um, did the pastor. He spoke Hebrew, of course, and English, but he didn't speak Arabic. So he asked Rania to interview her, and, uh, and I said, what is she here for? She says, well, she says she's here, you know, to, to receive the Lord. I said, hmm, okay. Does she really understand? Because she had, they had, uh, there was a, a a man interpreting back there with her, and she had her whole family. There were like seven of them there, and so anyway, she, uh, uh, Ronnie, spent about five or ten minutes with her, explained the plan of salvation. And the woman said, definitely, she wanted to receive Yeshua. Definitely, she wanted to be saved. Definitely, she believed the message. I have preached on blessed or the unoffended. Now, how could she get saved out of that? You know what I'm saying? It was not, it was not a a, a message to to stir people up for salvation. So she wanted to, and uh, so she says, one moment. She goes back, she gets her whole family. <laughs> she brings them, she sits them down. She had a daughter, son-in-law. She had, a, you know, kids, a whole bunch of them, seven of them all together. She says, we will all receive Yeshua. And Rania says, no, it doesn't work that way. You ha it's not on the family plan, you know. Uh, just because the matriarch says so does not mean everybody's going to receive. So she went, it took about 15 minutes to explain the plan of salvation, and the whole family received Yeshua. Off of a mess, and it was the first time that, uh, that um, um, Avi Mizraki, Pastor Avi Mizraki, had had any Palestinians in his church, and it was the first time that he'd had salvation with them. So it was just an awesome, awesome time. But tonight we're going to talk to you about uh, the season of offenses that we're in right now. And uh, let's look uh, where Jesus said concerning John the Baptist in Matthew 11, 1 through 6. Now, we're going to talk to you real straight tonight. But remember, we're going to have that fire tunnel, and it'll make up for it in case you get mad at me. <laughs> we'll soften you up yeah, with some prayer. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can roll around on the floor a little bit. Matthew 11, 1 through 6. Now, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in person about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the one coming, or we do 
do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and the things that you see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, what kind of an answer was that for John the Baptist? Now let's just think about John the Baptist, one of the most holy men, Jesus said that himself, uh, uh, that had ever walked, had been, ever been born of women, okay. Now John the Baptist had a tremendously successful ministry. He was, um, he was uh, prophesied that he was going to be born. It was all, you know, really supernatural the way it came about. His father, you know, was a priest and he was tending to the altar of incense and he had a visitation by an angel that, and his mother was barren. And, uh, you know, it was prophesied that she was going to have a child and that the child would be named John. And uh, this child was to be a Nazarite all of his life. And it says that, you know, he lived a locust and honey and, you know, he lived a very uh, austere life. And so he had spent 30 years in this, type of a, in this type of life. All of a sudden, he breaks out onto the scene. He has a ministry that lasts for six months. Six months was the length of his ministry that had not only the preparation by his father and his mother having a supernatural uh, uh, restoration of, their, of her body so that she could bear a child because she was an elderly, Elizabeth was an elderly woman. But also, back in the book of Malachi, it said that there would be one that would come. Amen. Speaking of John the Baptist. And he would be a voice crying in the wilderness, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so here we see this man has had a successful ministry. But he, he baptized his cousin, Jesus, amen, and he made the statement, I must decrease that he may increase. I must decrease that he might increase. That needs to be our mantra. I must decrease that he might increase. I must decrease that he might increase. And so we see six months of ministry. He gets in a lot of trouble. Like I foresee that some of our ministers and possibly myself and who knows, uh, sounds like you guys are pretty radical too. The things that we say from the pulpit, we stand for life. We stand for, for marriage between a man and a woman. We stand for, for the things that are right and righteous. I foresee that some of us may, may be uh, let out in handcuffs sometime and put in prison. You say, oh, that couldn't possibly happen in our country. Get real. <laughs> you think America has some special kiss of blessing? Once we have embraced the things that we've done, millions and millions of unborn children, uh, that's written into our laws. Do you think that this nation is going to go unscathed? I mean, let's be realistic. If he didn't let Israel, who were the, you know, the apple of his eye, if he didn't let them you know, get away with all the things they did. What makes us think that America is so special that we're going to get away with all these things? We will have to be judged. If God does not judge America, he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen? Because our nation, our nation right now is reeling and rocking with, with wickedness in high places, in low places, you know, in, in, in our schools, in our, in our, in our political uh, arenas, in, in our, our our state, you know, our state buildings, from state to state to nation to nation. I'm, I want to tell you, America stands in the balance right now. Amen. And I don't know that we can balance it back to the good. I think we may have 
already stepped over the line. Amen. No matter what, we're not here to frighten you. We are here to have you prepared. You need that extra oil that the brother's talking about tonight. Amen. God, we are not subject to God's wrath. Amen. He, he took, uh, he took uh, the children of Israel into Goshen. Amen. He took care of them. And I want to tell you, he will take care of us. Praise God. But we need to realize it's a very sober time. It's not a time to be plain church. It's a time to be the church. Praise the Lord. So we see here John the Baptist was an exceptional man. Now I know he, he, as he stepped back and he allowed his, his cousin to take, uh, to take precedence and, and uh, you know, blessed what he was doing. I'm sure that he had no idea when he got arrested that that was going to be the end of his life. I'm sure he had the same plans that all of us would. He's, gonna, he's going to, uh, you know, uh, retire on, uh, on, uh, in, in Crete <laughs> with his, uh, with his uh, credentials all in line, that he would probably become one of uh, Jesus' uh, uh, you know, best guys that he would send out there, one of his apostles, and he would, you know, establish uh, churches all over. I mean, John the Baptist probably had the same, the same dreams that all of us had. He had no idea with the special, uh, what shall we say, uh, trouble, I guess, or, or effort that God put into his life to have a ministry that only lasted six months. Now, I, I'm sure when he sent, and, and those of us that move under the anointing, which all of us do, I'm sure, you know, whenever you're under the anointing, you can say and do anything. Have you ever regretted it after you left the meeting? <laughs> Woo! Especially you prophesied something over somebody and, you, and you're out from underneath the anointing now and you're saying, oh God, I sure hope, I sure hope I was hearing from you. Amen. Well, I'm sure that John the Baptist was the same way. Here he is in prison now. Things are looking pretty dark. Things are pr looking pretty, pretty bad. So he sends his guys over there to, to interrogate Jesus, to ask him, okay, are you the one or do we look for another? I mean, it, it, which was a legitimate question because he's in a tough, tough, tight place. Jesus does not give him even the, an explanation except to say, go back and tell John, yeah, see the blind eyes open, see deaf, deaf hear, you see the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to him, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, that was a pretty curt answer, in a sense. I'm sure John was, was expecting him, you know, Jesus is going to come down to the prison. He's going to open the prison doors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to, you know, he's going to rescue him, and he's going to take him out. You know, his ministry is going to continue on, and he's going to work with, with his... No, 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 it didn't happen that way. But after he left, Jesus praised him. But it wasn't while his apostles or his, his disciples were there. Now, offended with the Lord because they were not recognized and promoted as they felt they deserved. That happens everywhere. Amen? I think even John the Baptist was probably, could have been offended with the Lord because he was not recognized and promoted as he felt he should deserve to be. There's all kinds of offenses. And one of the worst things is to take up an offense for somebody else. I see that in churches all the time. There'll be a church split and the people will take up an offense for this person, or they'll take up an offense for that person. And the Lord is telling us, like I said this morning, 
no matter what the issue is, you have no opinion. Hello? As intercessors, we have no opinion because you don't know both sides of an issue. Your opinion has got to be God's opinion, and I will repeat that nine times out of ten or 99 times out of 100 or 9,999 times out of however many that is, you don't know and won't know what God's opinion is on an issue. And so what you do is you step back, you suck it in, you turn it over to the Lord, yes, and you say, I will not take an offense and I am not going to take a side. God, my opinion is your opinion and I cast my vote with you. Amen? Oh, how much easier things would be if we could all live that way. Jesus is an offense. <laughs> he is a great offense. Just use his name a little bit in a, in a loving way. Yeah, and see what happens. Yeah? Pray in a public place. See how offended people get. <clears throat> Isaiah 8, 13 through 15. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary to some, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. And I present to you that Jesus is still an offense to the Jews. Amen? Yeah, very much so. In this nation and in all the nations of the world, the name of Jesus is an offense to the Jews. For those that believe, of us that believe, he's a sanctuary. But those who are not believers, he's an offense. Jesus can either be a sanctuary or a rock of offense. The decision is yours. Priests and intercessors, we talked about this today. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, speaking of Yeshua, speaking of Jesus. And precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they, are also, they were also were appointed. So to the believer, he's a precious. To the, to the obedient, he is a precious sanctuary. But he's a stumbling and an offense to the disobedient. And Jesus, the rock, the word, offended them. I uh, present to you that I go to churches where there are no crosses. Not that I'm saying we all have, we have to have a cross in every church, but it's become offensive to people. Some more of the, uh, of the um, what shall we say, seeker-sensitive churches are not preaching on the blood. That's offensive. They're not preaching on the cross. That's offensive. These symbols, though they have no power within themselves, are still symbolic of something that we believe in. Amen. The cross and the blood. And if, uh, if it's possible in our churches, people will be offended over being told that they need to live a separated life. 
They'll stumble over that because they will be disobedient to the word. If you are obedient to the word, he is precious. He is precious. If you are living in disobedience, he is a rock of offense. Amen? Ooh. Offenses and stumbling go together. We need to emphasize that tonight. The word offended in the Greek means, uh, actually the English word would be scandalize. Yeah, offended is scandalize or scandalizo. It means to entrap, to trip up, figuratively stumble, to make offend, to put a straight stumbling block, an impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall, metaphorically, to offend. To cause a person to begin to distrust and desert the one whom he ought to trust and obey. It will cause you to fall away, to be offended in one that is to see in another what I disapprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging his authority. So many people are going to be offended. We're talking about believers. We're talking about churchgoers. They're going to be offended with their shepherds. If their shepherds begin to preach the gospel, the truth, a firm foundation of Jesus Christ, the cross, yes, yes, oh, taking up your cross daily, following after him. If they begin to speak about living a separated life, come out from among them and be ye separate. I was just uh, sharing with uh, Pastor uh, Scott that I just preached against drinking. <laughs> Why did I do that? Because it's epidemic among our leaders. It's epidemic among the, the prophets. It's epidemic. Yes, yes. In Isaiah 28, it says, yes, that, that the priests and the prophets have been given to wine and strong drink. Therefore, they stagger around and they don't know the truth that they're giving out is not the truth. Amen? They're, they're giving error out because of the condition of the mind. I stand here tonight, and you may, not, you may want to stone me, but I want to tell you that I believe that Christians need to stay as far from alcohol, as far as from drugs, as far as they possibly can from those things which would cause us to have a, a, a mind that is not clear. Now you say, oh, you're some old woman. No, 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 no. I am an old woman, but I do know what it is to drink. <laughs> I've had my share of it. And drugs, I've had my share of it. And I know that you do not function with a, a solid mind your mind is going to be one way or the other even the the more innocent you know smoking dope or some you know that ooh because that makes you feel so so cool so you're not functioning with the proper mind amen and i was uh, i've had this conversation and this uh, argument i guess you would call it because i stand firm in this my husband was an alcoholic i had a drinking problem alcohol ran in our family alcohol ran through you i know but <laughs> I don't know about your family. Do you have alcoholism in your... Well, yeah, you had, a, you had an Irish mother. So, <laughs> yeah, I just came from Ireland preaching against drinking. Oh, boy, the pastor... Yeah, yeah, the pastor loved me because he's been standing alone in his city declaring that they need to stay away from strong drink because that is, that is a special <laughs> temptation and stumbling for the Irish people. So when I got up and I, I affirmed him, oh, he loved me. Oh, please come back. We would like to have, <laughs> have you come back and have some seminars and, and teach on all this stuff. I'd be happy to because the word of God confirms it. It tells the priest to stay away from strong drink. Isn't that what it says? It tells them not to touch anything 
of alcohol. You say, oh, Lila, you're being so, what about a, a little wine for the stomach's sake? Well, if your name's Timothy, that's okay. Anyway, <laughs> no, no, let me just stop here and be practical, okay? Um, in fact, I'm going to do, do a research on it about uh, the, the uh, outpourings of the Holy Spirit concerning holiness. Because you know, uh, the holiness churches were the ones that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit through Brother Seymour's ministry. Now, I, and the, and uh, uh, temperance was very, very much in control in those days. But uh, that'll, that'll be a, another time. Uh, I just want to put this out to you. You can do whatever you want to. I'm not saying that one drink is going to send you to hell. We're not talking about eternally lost. We're talking about being effective where you are. You need to have all your senses about you. And I, was, uh, I had this conversation with uh, someone who um, you know, is a sipping Christian. And uh, I said, all right, you're in leadership, yes? Yes? Okay. For instance, you and your wife, okay, you're not going to transgress what Paul said. Is this okay? Am I, am I stirring the pot here too much? You know, hopefully I'm going to bring some sense to some of you young people. Okay, maybe you haven't heard this kind of preaching before, and maybe you heard a lot of it, and we're just bringing confirmation. But you hang around alcohol enough, it'll get a hold of you. That's what we told our kids, you know, they, they, they're free, they're adults, they can do whatever they want to. But we both warned them because there's alcoholism on both sides of our family. We said, you need to stay as far away from it as you can, amen, because it'll get a hold of you. Anyway, the conversation was, um, all right, uh, let's set a, let's set a, perfect, uh, a perfect setting here. Uh, you and your wife are home, and uh, there's no one there, so you're not going to offend someone by, by drinking in front of them, you know. Oh, uh, Heaven help us if we, if we stumble. Yeah, it'd be better to put a millstone around your neck than to stumble one of these little ones. Paul was very emphatic that if, uh, if, if what you eat or you drink is going to offend someone, then you are to not partake of it for the sake. Okay, so you're in your home. Uh, all the blinds are drawn. The children are tucked away in bed. Okay, you and your wife decide to sit down. Oh, well, let's put them in the hot tub. That'd even be better. <laughs> Okay, so they're, they're in the, you know, you're, you're just relaxing together, and so you want to have, you know, a nice wine. You heard about it. You know, you went down to the wine shop, and you shopped, and you got the, the most vintage, you know, the best one, because it really you hadn't been much of a drinker before, but now all of a sudden it's okay because all the rest of the preachers do it and all the rest of the, and I'm not saying all of them, but I am saying it is epidemic. So you're having a little, you know, all relaxed. Oh, yeah, you've had that drink, and you're, yeah, all of a sudden the phone rings. You've had a couple of them, all right? And uh, it's one of your parishioners been in a terrible hit-on accident. And uh, they're rushing them to the hospital, and you need to be there to meet the ambulance. Amen? First of all, you, you get dressed, you get in your car, you've broken the law, because you're going to be driving and drinking. You're drinking and driving. You arrive at the hospital. You need to be able to pray the prayer of faith right there with all uh, sincerity and with all faith. But your mind isn't quite as clear as it would have been if you hadn't had that one or two drinks of wine. Okay? Selah. <clears throat> We're going to shift gear here. <laughs> I'm going to stop meddling. We're going to start preaching, or maybe we're going to preach and meddle some more. <laughs> you know, I'm old. You know, and, and old people can get away with all kinds of stuff. Yeah? 
And so I get away with it. You know, I had, to, I had to go through the years where I was younger and I had to really suck it in and hold it back. Now, I'm old. I can say whatever. If I'm not invited back, it's okay. <laughs> but I must tell you the truth. I must tell you the things I see and how I observe it and the things, the changes in the last 50-some years that we've seen since we've been in Pentecost, over 50 years now. And there's been great changes, and not for the better. Amen? Matthew 5 and 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is something that um, we've been harping on all day today, is the condition of the heart. It's not only concerning intercession, but it's concerning our life in the Lord. If you want to have a good, strong prayer life, then your heart needs to be soft. It needs to be circumcised. It needs to be prepared before the Lord. It needs to be available to Him at all times. It needs to be compassionate. It needs to be, it needs to be clean. It needs to be pure. Who may stand before the, before the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's scripture. That's, I didn't make that up. Amen? I remember I was, uh, I was somewhere a few years ago, and I, I was uh, at some conference, and I was talking to Joy Strange, Strain, the ones that have Charisma magazine. And uh, she was saying that, <clears throat> that uh, she had been in a conference. This was before Brownsville, I think, before Rodney Howard Brown, all of that. They were covering some kind of a, of a split, a big church split in a denomination. And she really didn't want to be there, but they needed to be covering it. And so she and her husband were, were going to be attending the meeting that night. And so that day, she was not wanting to go, but that day she said, Lord, you know, what am I going to see when I get there? What am I going to hear? You know, knowing it was going to be a, a blowout of some sort. And he said, blessed to the pure in heart, for they shall see God. <laughs> I want that, I want you to get a hold of that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So she said when she went to the meeting, she wasn't looking for the negative. She was looking for God. And what we need to do is see God in all things. I know I've been coming down hard on the drinking uh, people. It, it, it is not a point of judgment. It's just a, a point of, of warning. Uh, it isn't that I don't see good in, in these individuals. It isn't that I don't see good in their ministry. It's just that it could be better. <laughs> but blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So when we, when we look at people in situations, we need to try to see them through God's eyes. If we have a judgment and, and, uh, and we're very um, you know, negative about something, we need to go have a heart check. I use that as a barometer in my life. I thought, gee, that's a great thing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's a good heart check. Amen? If you're seeing people uh, without seeing God in them and what, with what God's doing with them, then you need to have a heart check. There are offenses to new converts. Trials and tribulations are the, are the offenses. Matthew 13, verse 20 through 21. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures, and only for a while. For when tribulations or persecutions arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles because he's offended. Amen? That can be old, old believers, too. Family. <laughs> ah, yes. Familiarity. Nazareth. Let's think about Jesus. 
Mark 6, 1 through 4. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which he has given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Jose, he, we had some Spanish in there, Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. How many of you have ever been rejected by your family? Gee, not all of you? <laughs> uh, where they didn't want to receive you, you know? Amen? Hey, I mean, that's just, uh, that's just Bob. What does he know? You know, we don't care that, that he's accepted other places, but, you know, we know, we know where the body's buried on you. Amen? Yeah. The family. I, I uh, can't uh, tell you how many times Rania and her intercessors there in Nazareth have, have walked that city and walked the mountains and, and invited the presence of Jesus back to Nazareth because he was sent out. They've repented for the way he was treated. And just uh, awesome, awesome prayer things are going on all around the world. Religious doctrine will stumble people and offend people. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Do we not know that the first murder was over a doctrinal issue? How the, how the sacrifice would be given between Cain and Abel? Hmm? So I think that might be a pretty strong one. The Pharisees continued to stumble his doctrine. In Matthew 15, verse 12, it says, Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended <laughs> when they heard his saying? <laughs> of course, if you were called, uh, you know, uh, uh, what is it, dead men's bones, you know, if you were called a whited sepulcher, if you were called, you know, all of these things, you might get a little offended. Okay, so the Pharisees were continually stumbled at his doctrine. Unity. We heard about that tonight. One of the greatest offenses turned back the multitude. In John 6, verse 53, 60, and 61, Jesus had been very popular up until this time. And, and uh, Jesus said unto them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Well, I'm sure it probably did, because it sounded like it was uh, cannibalism, because Jesus was talking about uh, the Lord's Supper that was going to be initiated. Now, if they had followed, and there'll be some times that the Lord will ask you to do things without you knowing the last page. Amen. And because we trust him, we have to follow him. Uh, Peter, his answer says, well, where could we go? Who else has the word of life but you? But all of the uh, rest of the people were offended and they left him. Now, those that stayed with him till the Last Supper, he revealed. This is my body, which was broken for you. This is my blood. It was the, it was the bread and the juice, right? Or the bread and the wine. But those that heard him only with the ear and not with the heart. Amen. They were offended by him. I want to tell you, the Lord is going to speak things to us that we need to respond to immediately. 
not get offended and turn away. We need to follow him, no matter if it's through the fire or wherever it is, spiritually speaking. We need to follow him because in the, in the end, if we're obedient to him, he will reveal the truth about it. Okay? I remember that uh, my son, my oldest son, he calls me up one day. He was so excited. This was during the Brownsville Revival. He goes, Mom, Mom. He said, you've made the heresy hunters list. I go, oh, really? You know, I mean, I'm an outrageous old lady. They could have gotten me for a whole lot of stuff, okay? But I asked him, what did they get me on? He said, on unity. I said, really? Because I had been talking about all the rivers. I was sharing that today, all the rivers coming together, you know, uh, Toronto and, and uh, Argentina and all of these different ones. Uh, not, to, not to become inclusive when you have a revival because, because then, then it becomes a denomination. This is exactly what I said. And then it will become incestuous because you'll only reproduce after your own kind. Well, they took high offense to that. <laughs> I said, oh, phooey, I thought they'd get me on something really, <laughs> really outrageous. That seemed to be so practical to me. Okay, anyway, my, it made my son's day. Oh, you've made the heresy hunters list. Yeah, he loves that, yeah. He's, he's sort of in the theological, uh, you know, uh, bent. We may all stumble at the cross. The cross has become a great offense to the church. Matthew 26, verse 31 through 35. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble. Not just Peter. All of you, he said to his disciples, will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Okay. Jesus said unto them, Assuredly, I say to you, this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. Now, I know that there's going to be some more martyrs. There are martyrs every day all around the world. I get reports, uh, I just got a report uh, from a, a brother, uh, this was in Honduras, he was saying that one of, his, um, one of his friends, a pastor, is incarcerated right now, and uh, he uh, doesn't look good for him, and that they, so far this year, have killed seven pastors in Honduras for the cause of Christ. So you see, that's not as far away as China. <laughs> yeah? That's right here on our continent, huh? Or on our hemisphere. And so um, I do believe that the time is coming. Uh, uh, the way things, the persecution of the church is going to be greater. Are we going to be strong enough to endure? I remember the Lord spoke to me one time uh, at Brownsville when we were going through all kinds of issues. And the Lord said, my holiness is your protection. My holiness is your protection. In other words, no matter what you go through, you will be protected if we stay in His holiness, not our holiness, not our righteousness, but in His holiness. And so I always proclaim that, that His holiness is my protection. Amen? Um, with uh, the issues that are coming up politically, you know, the 501c3, hmm? Well, who cares about that? You know, we're going to tithe whether we get a tax exemption or not. I mean, the tithe doesn't belong to us anyway. I don't know what the deal is about people and tithing. 
That 10% is not ours. It belongs to him. You don't really start giving until it's over 10%. You know, then you start giving. Then that's seed money. You know, the offerings are seed money. The alms are for the poor. Amen. All of that is all over and above your 10%. Yeah. Am I getting paid off for the, saying that? No. It's scripture. It's scripture. Amen. That 10% does not belong to you. And, and I forget who it was that said you can do more with the, uh, God can do more with the 10% than we can with the 90. Yeah? We always say we can't afford not to tithe. <laughs> we don't make enough money. <laughs> we have to tithe. <clears throat> that make any sense? Okay. Uh, offenses, new converts, family, religious doctrine, unity. We may all stumble at the cross. Here was something that uh, one of my intercessors uh, was sharing with me. The teacher gives us instructions and training, but when the test comes, he's silent. I'm going to say that again. I think that's really good. The teacher, because it's not my idea, <laughs> the teacher gives us instruction and training, but when the test comes, he's silent. Just like with John the Baptist, the Lord was silent when he was in that great testing. And that is true in our own lives. And so don't get offended and don't stumble because you don't get an immediate answer when you're in the midst of something really hard, really, really tight, maybe even arrested, maybe who knows what. Yeah. You know, I could share something. In fact, I will, I will say this. One of my uh, preacher friends, woman, she was doing a meeting in Chicago a while back. And uh, while she was uh, ministering in the meeting, uh, and she also had a lot of uh, stepchildren that she'd been like with uh, uh, the um, services where they, they, t they take the children and, and uh, what would that be? Uh, yeah, child services, right. And so she, because some of the children just were not ever going to be, be adopted, so she adopted them. So she had like eight, ten kids, I don't know. And so naturally, if you have eight or ten kids, you have to have some discipline. Yes. And those of us that know the words, spare the rod, spoil the child, she said something like that. And uh, at the break, these women came up to her and they said, uh, did you know what you said today is very highly offensive? She says, they said, well, you are advocating child abuse. She goes, excuse me. You know, and they said, we don't want to hear you say something like that from the pulpit again. So she's just feisty enough and old enough like me. So that afternoon she gets up and she really lays it on him. Yeah, I, I, these kids, I, you know, this. She gets back home and she, and she lived here in Texas. She was ministering in Chicago. Child services came, knocked on her door. Yeah, they interrogated her. At this point her kids are all grown, so none of them were living at home. But they really gave her a very difficult time and they were willing to, they were there to take the children away. because she'd made a statement like that from the pulpit. Okay, so even though it's in the scripture, spoil the, spare the rod and spoil the child, child services may be knocking on your door, okay? <laughs> waiting. The offenses, temptation, and stumbling come in the waiting. The teacher gives us instructions and training, but when the test comes, he's silent. Let's look at some, I'm going to try to wrap this up here. Let's look at some of uh, the people who stumbled in the waiting. Let's look at King Saul. Is it? He's a guy, you know, we can, we can pick on him all the time. 
because <laughs> he, he's oh he has a lot of preaching <laughs> a lot of sermons in his life first Samuel 10 7 through 8 uh, Saul was given given a commission it's and Samuel told him, You go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I'll come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. 1 Samuel 13, 7 through 13. He didn't do that. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days. He waited a whole seven days for Samuel. But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered. See, here is where the temptation is for those of you that are in ministry and that have churches, okay? The pressure of the people will cause you to stumble and cause you to fall into things. Uh, we'll repeat again what happened to Aaron. It says, <clears throat> and he waited seven days, did not come, and the people were scattered from him. He saw the people scattering. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me, and he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel says, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Okay, well now we have an excuse here. I needed to make an offering to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and I offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. And so we know that Saul was disqualified for being king. And the Lord gave that wonderful uh, uh, anointing to David. All right. Um, in 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 5, he destroyed Amalek. In 7 to 9, he spares the livestock and Agag. Samuel arrives at Gilgal, confronts Saul. Saul blames the people. And he says to him, when you were humble, Saul, when you were a man that was humble, God could use you. But now you've become arrogant, and God can no longer use you. Saul argues with him, but it, the argument is to no, to no avail, because he had disqualified himself as king. Aaron is another one. Exodus 24, 14 through 15, that was part of our teaching today. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we, Moses said to Aaron and to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let, him, let them go to him. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. And we know that he was up there for 40 days. And the people are down there in the valley waiting, and they don't know what happened to Moses. And maybe he got snake bit. Maybe he fell off the cliff. Maybe he, whatever. He's not going to come, but we need to have a God. We need to have some leadership. So they put the pressure on Aaron. <clears throat> now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this man Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron told them to break off their golden earrings in their ears, bring them to him. He received the gold from their hands, fashioned it into an engraving tool, made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God. 
O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation, said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they arose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Exodus 32, verse 22 through 26. When, uh, when Moses comes down, so Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that there are set on evil. <laughs> the woman thou gavest me, <laughs> Selah. <laughs> Aaron's blaming the people, okay? Oh, you know there are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go up before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what will come of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me. I cast it in the fire. And a calf came out. Ho, oh, what a miracle. Okay. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. So we can see then, leaders, we can see then, pastors, that the people may put the pressure on you, but you are accountable to the Lord, not to the people. Aaron knew better than that. Saul knew better than that. But because of the pressure and because of the people, and that's why we see all of these, um, these um, uh, pe uh, people-sensitive or seeker-sensitive churches caving in all the time, more and more. People want to come. They want to, they're willing to give their tithes even. They like to come because it has the best youth youth program and uh, it's the best one in the neighborhood and they can come and not feel too rattled. They can feel really good about themselves because they're told that they're going to be winners and oh yes and they're going to be kingdom people, you know, the kingdom of God is going to come here on earth and they're going to be part of it and they're going to get rich, oh yes and we love to hear that and it's only a 45 minute sermon and they can leave and they can go out and feel really good about themselves because they went to church. Heaven help the shepherds. Heaven help the shepherds when they stand before Almighty God. And we were saying today, and the people can point to you and say, Why did you not warn us? Why did you not warn us? Amen? Our protection against stumbling, and I'm closing with this, and aren't you glad? <laughs> 2 Peter 1, verse 5 through 11. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours, and abound in you. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will never fall. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's not just about having, having the head knowledge. It's not just about knowing the word. It's not just about embracing the cross. It's not just about his blood. It's about how we conduct our lives. You see, for many people, you're the only Jesus that they'll ever see.
That's why we need to watch what we say, watch what we do, watch where we go. Amen? For this very reason, give all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. If you have these things, if they're yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For who, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Hallelujah. Good news? Good news. What a simple thing. He's just telling us to live like Christians. <laughs> oh, and that's so hard, huh? For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Isaiah 40 and 31, for those of you that are going through trials and tribulations and right now, you know, you're hearing nothing because the teacher is silent while you're taking the test. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's Isaiah 40 and 31. Now, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stroke you and, and schmooze you in a little while because we're going to have prayer and we're going to really have a good time here. But this is a serious time that we're living in. And, you know, I would be remiss because I don't know you and I don't know whether you just came in off the street. If somebody drug you here, I don't have any clue uh, if you belong to this church or some other church. You're here by accident, you think. No, 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 you're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. And so I want to, uh, let's all stand because I'm going to give an altar call. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. I asked that because I was in uh, Zimbabwe. And I started to give an altar call, and I thought the pastor was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> I said, I'm from Brownsville. What did you expect, you know? <laughs> well, we found out all of his staff was in sin. That could have been part of the problem. <laughs> because when I gave the altar call, they came <laughs> to the altar, and they're repenting. And then, then the pa oh, you're recording this. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, <laughs> woo, I don't want anybody to stumble here. <clears throat> especially me <laughs> praise the Lord alright I'm looking at you you all look like you're really good really in good relationship with the Lord really doing good here but you know we can't go by what we see because the heart of man is hidden and uh, the uh, things that are in the heart are what really counts and so I wonder if there's anybody here that just happened to stumble in you've never met Jesus you don't know him You've never uh, even understood anything about Christianity except that you're an American. Uh, and if that's you, and tonight something was tugging at you, you felt something moving within you, uh, especially, I wish that old lady shut up so I could get out of here. That, that's a good indication. <laughs> that's usually conviction, okay? And so uh, what we mean by conviction is that something is occurring inside of your heart, that you know you're not right with Jesus, and you need him. 
And I don't believe in the head bowed and eyes closed because when you come into the family of God, you come in, a sword is put in your hand, and you're going to be fighting the devil all the way. And you need all your brothers and sisters around you to help you with what's going to be going on. So is there anybody here with an uplifted hand that would say, I need Jesus. I have sin in my life. I've never known. I've never known the Lord. Maybe I've gone to church, but I've never really experienced him. I have never, ever fully given my life to him. If that is you, I want you to lift your hand up. And you don't need to be afraid. You're among friends. All of us have had to do this. Yeah, yeah. All of us have had to do this. Whoo. Praise you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. All right, we're going to cast the net again. I learned from the best. <laughs> yeah. This net is out there for those of you that know Jesus Christ or have received him as your Savior. But at this point in your life, there are things that you know that Jesus would not approve of. There are things that you know that you do in secret. Yes, yes. Things that you know would not be approved of by the Lord. And if that's you, and there's no, uh, there's no shame in that, the only shame is if you don't confess your sin. Amen? But I want you to lift your hand if that's you, and you're brave enough, you have enough courage to say, there are things in my life that I know Jesus Christ would not approve of. Amen. 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 God bless you, sweet. I see those hands. Amen. 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 Now I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to come up here, and I'm gonna ask you to uh, to pray, and and Pastor Scott is gonna come and he's gonna lead us all in a prayer of repentance. But I know there are others here. Yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on. You don't want me to reach into into um, Steve's last resort, do you? <laughs> God bless you, sweetheart. Come on. You know the Lord. You know the Lord, but there are just things that you know Jesus would not approve of. Amen. If you had to stand before him tonight, you're just not really sure that he would like what you're involved in. Come on up, come on up, up here a little farther. It takes a lot of courage to do this. Amen. Turn around the other way. You don't have to look at the people, honey. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, it's a time to get right with God. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Anybody else? Oh, my shen and me are son that'll be a karmakia. And that I'm a high and an so. Hey, 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 hey. Shamaya name and I'm a son that'll be key. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, come on. Oh, don't let pride stand in your way. It's not that you're confessing that you're, you know, living in adultery or something like that. We're talking about areas of your life that need to be surrendered to Jesus. I'm going to ask this. How many of you are carrying offenses? You've taken up offenses either for, for yourself or for other people. You need to get rid of them tonight. That's what this whole message was about because it will cause you to stumble. Amen. You need to be here at the altar. Because these are issues of the heart. 
You see, it's not always just about pornography or drinking or alcohol or things like, uh, or, or, or drugs. It's about the condition of the heart. Amen. A root of bitterness will cause the whole tree to be bad. If you're carrying bitterness or unforgiveness toward anyone, you need to be here at the altar. Tonight is the time to get right with God. The Lord is preparing us for a battle, a battle we've never entered into before, a battle that we have never fought before. The enemy has new strategy. The old strategy's always worked really well, but he's got some other things in his bag, amen? And you don't know when it's gonna come uh, on you, and you need to be right with God. Come on, yeah, there's more. Come on, come on. You see, offenses are sin, too. Yeah. Praise you, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, my Praise you, Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah, Pastor Scott, if you'll come. Praise you, Lord. just feel in my heart right now just to emphasize that we've got to forgive others and walk in forgiveness in these last days one of the strategies through offense Satan is trying to get people in unforgiveness because the Bible says if you don't forgive others you won't be forgiven and it defiles the temple and it really gives a door for the enemy it does it gives a door for the enemy to attack and I feel, number one, we need to forgive people. So, Holy Spirit, I ask you right now just to bring to our minds anyone we need to forgive, even those that are not down here. Lord, we right now, we want to release them. And I want you as they, the Holy Spirit's going to bring them to your mind. You're going to see their face right now. As that happens, I want you just to yourself say out loud, I choose to forgive, and then say their name, and just release it. It's a choice. It's a choice. Do that right now. Holy Spirit, give us the grace, Lord. We humble ourselves. The grace to forgive and release it right now and let it go. That's it. That's been the root issue for some people. The Holy Spirit is highlighting that. Some of you say, what's been holding me back? What's been the, this is it right here for some of you. Just let it go. Leave it at the altar tonight. Bible says God gives grace to the humble 
if we'll humble ourselves down, the Lord will give us the grace to overcome any weaknesses. So Lord, we humble ourselves and ask you for the grace to release people tonight. Forgive from the heart. We ask you for the grace to overcome. If you're down here in the altar tonight, or if even if you're not, I'm going to lead you in this prayer that's kind of a one-size-fits-all. All of us want to be right with the Lord. Amen. So everybody just say this with me tonight. Jesus, because you forgive me, I choose to forgive others that have wronged me. I ask forgiveness. And I renounce any sin, any rebellion, any idols, any iniquity that's been in my life. I put it under the blood. I repent tonight of pride, rebellion, resentment, revenge, envy, jealousy, strife, lust sexual sins witchcraft idols of the heart divination sorcery occult practices fear doubt unbelief alcohol abuse drugs addictions and obsessions I put it under the blood of Jesus I feel this is for some people right here. I want everybody to say this with me, but I feel this is for somebody. Everybody say this. I repent of suicide. Forgive me, Lord, for wanting to die. Wow. I don't know who that is, but somebody, the Lord's going to break that off you tonight. Somebody is... is been through something and you've just felt like giving up Lord we just right now people agreeing with me we bind that spirit of death and suicide and Father I speak over God's people here tonight that that be broken off we command it go in Jesus' name, lift, 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 lift. In Jesus' name. And Father, as we're going to go into this fire tunnel here in a moment, Lord, I pray that you'll just let it be a Holy Spirit car wash tonight. That'll just wash off. Anything that's tried to attach itself to people's lives spiritually, to the soul area, the mind, the emotions, people's bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit, just wash and flush all the pollution out tonight. Bring healing. Bring healing physically. Bring healing 
inward healing, bind up and heal the brokenhearted, set people free. Lord, we ask you to, to deliver the captives. If somebody has, has got some kind of a bondage, an addiction, something's trying to hold them back, strongholds, Father, we break it tonight. We destroy it tonight. We command it will release tonight. There will be breakthroughs. So let me seal this. Everybody just say this out loud. I thank you, Jesus. If we confess our sins, you are faithful. You are just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've confessed them tonight. And by faith, we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and his blood makes us holy in Jesus name wow it's the blood I love the blood of Jesus how could that be an offense